0: The calendar has turned to June, and that means we are officially less than three months away from the 2019 college football season. Just the summer separates us from another memorable fall and winter of Sooner football. Now the summer can be long for sure, so that's why I like to go back and re-watch previous OU games in preparation for the upcoming season. This past weekend, I turned on a long highlight of the 2017 OU win over Ohio State in the horseshoe. I don't have anything particularly insightful to say about it in this take, but I would be remiss if I didn't recommend every single one of you to queue up that game soon and re-watch it. It fired me up. I remember thinking nearly two years ago while watching that game live that we were watching a truly historical OU game. Well, that game carries just as much weight a couple years later rewatching it on YouTube as it did that September 9th night. It simply may well be my favorite OU game of all time and that's saying a lot. The Sooners thoroughly outplayed the Buckeyes in the first half, crossing into Ohio State territory on all of five of their drives, but with only three points to show for it. After Ohio State drove easily downfield on the opening drive of the second half to take a 10-3 lead, it was easy to see everything slipping away for OU. No matter, the Sooners closed the game on a 28-3 run in what is arguably the best-played second half in program history. There were significant contributors in that game that are still on the roster, most notably CeeDee Lamb, Trey Sermon, Grant Calcaterra, Lee Morris, Kenneth Murray, Robert Barnes, and even Michael Jones. Knowing what we know now, you'd probably even be surprised to hear that Parnell Motley was arguably the best defensive player on the field in that game. That's not even to mention Baker Mayfield it's impossible to watch the game and not think how crazy it is that this guy wasn't even considered a first-round draft pick at that time that the game was happening. So many clutch plays, so many memorable moments. In the early stages of the broadcast, Chris Fowler makes the comment that it takes a special team to deal with the atmosphere of being on the road at Ohio State. Well, 2017 Oklahoma was a very special team. Let's hope 2019 Oklahoma, with a lot of the same players will be able to produce a game and a season just as memorable. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest.
1: But it is third and two. They go empty in the backfield.
0: Intercepted.
1: Picked off by Brian Jackson. The Sooners get it back. The incredibly underrated Brian Jackson welcomes us into today's show. The Sooners trailed Texas by three points more than halfway through the fourth quarter at the Cotton Bowl back on October 17th, 2009. Colt McCoy's third down pass from the OU 12-yard line was picked off by Jackson and returned to the Sooners 30. OU had life, but on the ensuing drive, Earl Thomas picked off Landrew Jones. Then Texas ran out the clock and then won the game 16-13. The result wasn't great, but that Jackson interception is actually one of my favorite underrated Oklahoma football plays in my lifetime, and we're asking you to send us your favorite underrated Sooners plays this summer. Just go to the West of Everest Facebook page or send us an email, westofeverest at gmail.com, or you can send us a tweet. Grant's Twitter account is at GrantBenson25. I'm at Lee LeeBensonNews9. And the plan the rest of the summer is to showcase these underrated Oklahoma plays in the podcast intro up until it doesn't make any more sense to run any more of them. And we actually have an email today, not about an underrated play, but uh, just wanted to plug the email address one more time, at gmail.com. We have a listener question later in the show. So the plan for today, just a little outline. In case all of you didn't know this already, I'm pretty into sports betting. Therefore, anytime I see a new point spread come out, or uh, maybe a new win total for a football team, I'm into it. I like to break it down, see if there's any value one way or the other. So with that being said, I saw what I thought was a crazy number for the OU-Houston Week 1 game in Norman. I wonder if you all will find this number to be also insane. We'll talk about that, plus... I'd like to give an update on Jalen Redmond. I saw a good story in the Norman transcript with quotes from Redmond. And since I talked a lot about him last week and, and you talked about him a lot, Grant. I brought Grant in, but I'm talking to him right now. Uh, we'll talk to Grant about that, see if he has any thoughts or more thoughts on Jalen Redmond. So I want to get a little update on that. Also, there's new Sooners on campus. They recently arrived. That'll be uh, our listener email segment. And Grant and I today will talk about a little bit of South Dakota, And a little bit of UCLA. We realize that both of these opponents are not too terribly intriguing as we sit here right now in early June, so we're going to do our best to make that discussion somewhat engaging. So that's what it looks like for today. Without any further ado, time to bring back in Grant after doing the opening take. And Grant, we are recording a day later than usual this week because I had to work on Tuesday night covering the OU softball team at the Women's College World Series. So. I'm gonna put you on the spot here right now. Did you watch any softball in the past week?
0: Uh, I watched maybe a combined two or three innings. Um, no, I mean I, I understand if you're if you're there in Oklahoma on the ground, it's it's exciting. But um, you know, I, I I watched quite a bit of it a, a handful of years ago when they won. They won like they they had won like three of the last four national titles, right? So.
1: Two of the um, last three. Oh, so two of the were, last three. Okay. They were going for three out of four, and I don't uh, the
0: the first one that they won, um, uh, the one that like the the senior class had just graduated. The first one, all of them won. I I watched quite a bit of that one, um, and I thought it was pretty good. It looks like I I missed a pretty crazy ending to the game last night.
1: Yeah, I was there at the game, and it was scheduled for me to do a live shot during our ten o'clock newscast, and. The way the game was going, it started at 730, so I knew it wouldn't be over with or it would be just getting over with by the time I, I did this shot. So the plan was basically, hey, just set up somewhere and try to provide some sort of interesting insight for 45 seconds on the game. So, all right, you know, that's part of the business. So it's, you know, top of the seventh and uh, Oklahoma's down four to three because they give up a home run. And I thought, all right, it's about 10 five. The game's going to probably end here pretty quickly. I'm going to try to find a spot in the stadium to set up to get a cool shot. And the catch was is that I'm not allowed to do those reports in the stadium when the game's going on because ESPN, as you would probably expect, has all these rights that you just can't do anything video-wise inside the stadium because ESPN just owns all that stuff. And all of a sudden, Shea Knighton hits a home run in the top of the seventh inning with two outs to extend the game. And so I thought, all right, well, the game's not going to be over with here soon, so I got all my gear, sprinted outside to the stadium because I thought, okay, i got to do this outside, thinking that I'll do this, go back inside for the end of the game. And then as I'm getting ready to go on, it's about 10-20, 10-22. I hear a big cheer, or you know, not as big of a cheer as it would have been if Oklahoma would have done something positive. And I guess UCLA had walked off. All this happened in a span of like 10 minutes, so it's kind of crazy. Didn't see any of the most important plays because I was scrambling around with all my gear and a camera and a tripod. So that's my that's my story of Shea Knighton's big hit and Oklahoma losing game two of the Women's College World Series and the Bruins winning their 12th national title. Riveting story. Riveting. I was there for it, kind Com- of.
0: Compelling and
1: rich. Yeah, now that I say it out loud, I, I, I'm i really glad I didn't have this much time to talk about it on the yeah, air. Yeah, here's my... An actual television show.
0: Here's my one amateur uh, softball opinion here. In the last two national titles that I saw OU win, it kind of seems like they had the best pitcher in the country on their team, and it seems like this year that wasn't their bit. It seems like just, uh, what's her name, G. Juarez? I don't know her first yeah. name. Yeah, transfer from Arizona State. It sounds like she, she, was just, she was merely just very good this year and not incredible like they had, had in the past, and that this year it was mostly about them just scoring a boatload of runs. Um, and then I think UCLA did have like the pitcher of the year, and so that was kind of the difference, which always kinda of seems to be the case once you get down to the
1: end of yeah, the women's far. college world series. Yeah, Rachel Garcia is the UCLA pitcher, and she's also their cleanup hitter. She can hit too. So that good on her. And the weird thing about her is she gave up that home run to Shay Knighton on Tuesday night. I'm not sure how many people here even care about oh you sop. I'll make this quick. But she gives up the home run to Shay Knighton to tie the game in the top of the seventh inning and they do a cutaway shot of Rachel Garcia in the circle and she's smiling and looking at her teammates and it's like her the way she reacts to negative moments on the field was apparently just to smile it off and just kind of like well I know I'm really good so I'll just bounce back later and they still ended up winning so I thought that was kind of interesting anyways let's talk about football grant and last week we were going over Houston you know doing what 30 minutes on the Cougars I thought that was really interesting we you and I learned a lot more about the team than we knew beforehand. I found a line that must have came out maybe I don't know a month or so ago. Or I'm not sure when it came out, but it was Houston getting 13 and a half points. And we talked about that on the podcast last week. We said, hey, you know what do you think about this spread? What would you do right now? Would you take Oklahoma to cover that right now? Would you take the points in 13.5? and 13 and a half? And I can't remember what I said. I think I said I think I'd said I'd take OU just because you know the extra half point but i honestly my memory is so bad i can't remember maybe i took houston i don't know either way i thought that spread sounded about right about two touchdowns so then i figure out that the golden nugget in vegas the sports book there every year in at the end of may they release their game of the year lines so some of the biggest college football games of the upcoming season they'll they'll just put out a bunch of lines and they want people to come to Vegas and start betting on games. And they give you like a, a $1,000 limit to bet the games. And I was listening to this gambling podcast. And this the guy that set the lines was on there. And it was really interesting. They didn't talk about the OU Houston game. So I thought, hey, I want to check out what they have for the opening line there. I assumed it was going to be right around two touchdowns. I go and look at the line, Grant. And it's got Oklahoma listed as a 27-point favorite over Houston in week one. And I thought that was insane because i believe oklahoma opened against fau last year as a 23 point favorite so the question is what is going on here is is the what number is more indicative of the right number the 13 and a half initial number i got or this 27 point number first off grant whenever you found out that i think i texted you the other day 27 points given to houston in this game does that surprise you?
0: Yeah, I think whoever made that line is uh, getting in on the 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 Vegas recreational marijuana action. I think seriously th- this is a this is a total oversight. I gotta think this is gonna be off the books eventually.
1: I, it's just that not, seems it, way too high. It's just not. I mean, correct. that seems like easy money.
0: Yeah, it's it's just not correct. Um, so yeah, I was gonna. I, I think thirteen and a half is is pretty much exactly where it should be right now. Um, but yeah, the the twenty seven. I mean that. You got to think with a 27 point favorite. I mean, that's that's like typically what I feel like that's what that's what OU would be favored over Kansas right now.
1: Yeah, so that's just I mean, it's just I mean, maybe close to 30. Uh, I mean, they always kind of do it in increments, you know, of like either a touchdown six or three, Um, but 27 points. And I checked a couple other websites like that's got to be a typo and multiple websites that do sports betting and gambling, you know, they reported as 27 points. Oklahoma minus 27 over Houston. And I, I'm surprised I haven't seen any other professional, I shouldn't say professional gamblers, but people that I follow on Twitter that are into sports betting and follow college football. I haven't seen anybody tweet out, like, hey, uh, are we sure about this line here? Like, is this, this is, seems pretty easy money. So the question is one, like, you know, one of the things you learn about sports betting is when you see a line that you think is too good to be true, you think, okay, what do I not know? What am I missing here? So do we, think that this line is is indicating that really Houston even though we talked all these positive things about their offense last week and you know we brought up how bad their defense is going to be is the offense really not going to be all that great and are we just totally off on our assessment of Houston and, and this being a rather interesting game or is it the bookmakers that are way off here I don't know what do you think
0: well I just I really can't imagine this has anything to do with with Houston's offense they they return uh, everybody on their offense, which was really good
1: last year, except for maybe a couple offensive linemen. Ex- except that, for two
0: offensive yeah. linemen, that's it. And uh, and they're bringing in Dana Holgerson, who is a yeah, who is, who's a QB. Probably guru. upgraded. I mean, coach. This is a guy who is. This is a guy who is. Um, offensive success has, has left and has been in his wake everywhere he has gone. I mean, it's this this guy <laughs> he, he coordinates really good offenses in Houston has has some talented players. You're going to play in the NFL and they're all coming back they're all experienced so if it is something about houston it has to be it would have to be about their defense which we did say has the chance to be aggressively terrible last week um no i i, I yeah. really i really do think this is just a mistake i, I think okay, this so is going to be off the books at
1: some point in time well it's not gonna be off the books it'll just it'll they'll change it it'll it'll move yeah it, here's the thing so and and it's worth bringing this up. So last year, fast forward, rewind back to last year. You know, we talked about the FAU line. And I remember when we got to the big, you know, the game, we did our, our big preview and then we did our, our game preview. We always pick against the spread. And I remember I took OU to cover the spread and you took FAU to cover the spread. I think it was at that time. Do you remember? I mean, it was three touchdowns, maybe something yeah, like that. It, I mean, it it, it 20, was yeah, 20 and a half. I think it, it maybe? was bet
0: down to like, yeah, three touchdowns. It was it was a half point, I think.
1: So, I mean, I was confident Oklahoma would be able to cover, you know, three touchdowns. And, I mean, I didn't expect them to win by whatever it was, by 50, you know, 45 or 50. So, is this another scenario where, you know, we were really going into the FAU game? I know you were more on FAU being a lot more competitive than I was, although I, did, I didn't think they were going to be as bad as they were. But, I mean, that's a team that plays in, what, Conference USA? And now this is a team that I know Houston's not in a Big Five conference, but Houston can recruit. I mean, they just had Ed Oliver. Derrick King's pretty good. I know they're not recruiting a bunch of five stars, but Houston, they get players better than FAU got, right? So I don't know. I mean, what does this line maybe say about Oklahoma's defense? Does Vegas think, oh, Alex Grinch actually might be the answer here? And this might be a real deal thing. I mean, even though – Houston's offense is going to be really good. We think Oklahoma's defense is going to be much improved by week one. What do you think about that? Ah, there's just, there's too much money on the there's line. There's too many here. questions. I don't, I know, yeah, yeah, I just. Or maybe it's just saying that Oklahoma's offense is just, even with, with Jalen Hurts, is going to be, be unstoppable. And even though the defense isn't going to be as good or isn't going to be very good, they're still going to be able to rack up 65, 70 points on this sure. Houston team and beat them by four touchdowns.
0: You know what? Like this is, you know, I. It wouldn't shock me if OU was able to cover a spread that big. I mean, that would be like winning. No, me neither. Me neither. It's I just, mean, that, yeah. that, I mean, I could certainly see them winning this game like fifty-one to twenty-four, which would be a twenty-seven-point, yeah. you know, spread. I, I could. That's that's plausible. I mean, that would they'd have to play incredibly well to do that. But you know, and Houston would have to be nowhere near as, as good as maybe we think they are. I it's yeah, it, yeah, it, it kind of scratches my head a little bit. I think Houston is going to score way too much for OU to to cover that but hey don't I mean don't take my word for it I was the one who is was worried about FAU last year and OU I just I don't obliterated might even be too weak of a word I mean it was (laughs) it it was one of the most lopsided games of the of the 2018 season just in
1: general I mean Lincoln Riley has so far he had UTEP in week one, his first year as head coach, and he had FAU in week one. And obviously UTEP is not FAU, but they ended up both being not very good teams and Oakland beat the crap out of them. So maybe it's it's another one of those things of uh week one, Lincoln Riley's got these guys ready to go and ready to play that early in the year. And so this is interesting. I I think the line's wrong. If I had to if I was in Vegas right now and I could go to the golden nugget, I'd I'd be pretty comfortable throwing at least 100 bucks on houston if not more eh, not more than that no i mean uh it's still you never know it's june but uh, anyways i think that line's wrong i thought that was interesting and um we'll see how how that line moves throughout the summer grant i know we talked about him a lot last week jalen redmond and i just wanted to talk about him one more time briefly because you know i took the stand of i just Don't think he's going to be able to go, and that's just because of his history with these blood clots recurring in his lungs. And currently, right now, which is redundant, he's fine. As we know, we the Lincoln Rally said he's fine a couple weeks ago. He's been not having any sort of contact, in the spring didn't have any contact. He's good, and that's great. Um, But I wanted to bring up his uh, him again because I saw a story by Tyler Palmateer in the Norman Transcript recently, and Tyler is a friend of mine. a really good reporter for the Norman Transcript, and he had talked to Jalen Redmond, had some quotes, and just a couple of things that I took from the the story is that, not surprisingly, initially, Redmond said he was scared. He felt like he had broken ribs, and then after he was cleared to play last year in October, and then the clotting came back... He he knew something was wrong at practice. He felt very winded. He had chest pains, things like that. And I saw this very important quote from Redmond in the story, and I'm going to quote it right now. He said, when the second time came around and it happened, I was like, okay, maybe I need to just take the whole six months off so I can come back and won't have to deal with it anymore, Redmond said. So that kind of goes to – I think I touched on it briefly last week. Perhaps this is a scenario where – all these months off he's he he will have taken since october perhaps that is the key to getting this ailment kind of behind you because the more time you take away from contact things like that the more times you can maybe regulate uh the clotting and i i suppose maybe that's that's what he didn't have before you know he he came back too soon potentially and it came back so maybe with all this time off that's more positive and and maybe that will actually lead to him having a more positive outlook this year. And, and I, I, hope, I hope that's the case because, again, I want to be wrong about this. I want him to play. I think he's a really good player. And so just I'm going to infer from that quote that maybe the longer the time off and, and the longer the recovery, maybe that does reduce the risk of, of recurrence. So, Grant, one, did you read this article? Did you see it at all? Yeah, I saw and it. And if not, okay, so did, did you take anything away from it? I mean, I know it was interesting to, to hear from Redmond or to, to read his quotes and things like that that Tyler got.
0: Um. Honestly, I kind of thought it was scary. Uh, Just one, the confirmation that it was the blood clots in his lungs, um, and and actually, just two. I I was more thinking, well, you know, it it sounds like when it when it originally was happening, that it was there was something fairly obvious that was wrong, and and I'm glad that's the case. So I'm glad it wasn't something that just like snuck up on him, and that uh, and so it makes me think. Just I'm I'm happy that. In, in the case it does, if it does happen again, it's going to be something that is like blatantly obvious to him. Um, just because I, I'm, I'm worried about him getting hurt, to be honest with you, or him with, um, just like some long lasting implications of it. I, I don't want that to happen. Um, just as someone who has kind of dealt with some health stuff the last handful of years and has quite a bit of anxieties over it, um, I th- that sort of stuff is I'm I, I'm glad that the warning signs are very present, very real, and stuff that he can notice. And so if it does happen again, say, this upcoming season, he'll know that he needs to pull himself out or he can talk to someone about it. So that's, that's good because that's, that's honestly, that was my biggest fear is that he's out there playing and he doesn't feel anything and then all of a sudden something goes wrong and you know something mm-hmm. you can't come back from. So that, you know, that was the main takeaway from, from what I read about it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you know, it's, it sounds like he, he has a good attitude about it. Um, it does, it did made it, it made it kind of seem like that he, even when he had his second, uh, the second scare with it, that it was never in his mind that he was done with football. It sounded like, it sounded like he, he was like, okay, maybe this is now when I actually need to take a break so I can come back. Um, and so I, th- I think there was, there was always some question, some gray area about that in the fall about, is this, I mean with these revelations i mean is this kid even going to want to play anymore and it sounds like that he certainly does
1: and the team of course is still optimistic about redmond they're going to monitor him very closely like lincoln riley said a couple weeks ago and and that's just the way it's going to be this summer um and i mentioned them on the last podcast a week ago and there's a guy at tennessee trey smith an offensive lineman who i think has a scenario and a situation that's very similar to Redmond's because he's been dealing with recurring blood clots in his lungs as well. And like Redmond, he hasn't played or had any sort of contact in football since October, and that's whenever he had the blood clots return to his lungs as well, just like Jalen Redmond did. And um, Smith recently, he he has said he still plans to play again someday. He's not given up on football just yet. And uh, the most recent update I saw from Jeremy Pruitt – and this is updating on last week's episode because I think I had like a February update. And this week I saw a story from early April. So probably towards the end of spring ball for Tennessee that Jeremy Pruitt, the volunteers head coach said that he hasn't determined whether or not if Trey Smith's going to play this year. But he did say that Smith right now is in the best shape of his life because even with this issue, apparently, I mean, you can still work out. You can still do everything you can lift from what I understand the, the risk and and why there's no contact, I believe, and again I could be, could be, I don't think I'm totally off based on this, but I, I I could be a little off. I think the 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 scare is if you have contact, something happens, and maybe you you get injured or you you open up a, a cut or something like that, and there's clotting, like in your blood can clot, and you just you keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, and it won't stop. I I think that's. I well, that's if that's you're on. The,
0: that's if you're on blood thinners. That's like which that's is the fear
1: with your yeah. And that's what I mean. That's one of the uh, medications for blood clots is blood thinners, I believe. See, I would think
0: they wouldn't have him out there and cleared for contact while he was on blood thinners. I, I don't think
1: R- okay they would okay. do that. And that I mean, none of these guys have been cleared for contact, so maybe that still means that they're on this medication because Redmond hasn't been cleared. This uh, Trey Smith has not been cleared. So, anyways, I mean, I know this is kind of. Uh, getting in the weeds somewhat, but it's just, it's a scenario that I hadn't ever thought about or considered honestly, until Jalen Redmond had this issue, unfortunately. And, and now I feel like I know a little bit more about it and I just want to touch on it again, give a little brief update uh, it, on the scenario because it just, it's one of those things that, gosh, I just, I hope that all this time off, the main thing is I, 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 w- I, haven't been able to find this out yet and maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I'm hoping that, you know, more and more time away from competition it's been since October since the last time he played football. All this time, that's what then makes it to where a recurrence is is more rare and it doesn't happen, and he can just move on with his life and he's good. I mean, that, I think that's what they're banking on, based on him not doing anything.
0: And if he's if he's working out and he's active, I mean, that's a good thing. That can only yeah you know. And if they're saying that can't hurt, that it sounds like you know that can only help. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously. Things right now look look fairly positive for him, but I've, of course you never actually know until he really puts the pads on and is cleared for contact. But of course now, I mean, in in 2019, there's just not a whole lot of contact in practice at all anymore. So, um, or at least not like fully, you know, go to the ground tackling.
1: Um, so we'll see. I don't know. All right, let's go to our listener email, and we got a nice letter from Jay. And Jay writes, guys, in addition to the probably riveting breakdown of South Dakota, and he's being facetious, says it's a joke. Maybe you could cover anything you hear about the 16 new guys arriving this weekend. Even if you don't hear anything juicy, maybe a segment on who you guys think may contribute right away. Keep it up, guys. And just, just to serve Grant and I, he says that we are the best OU podcast out there. So, Jay... I can't tell you how much that means to me, and I'm sure, Grant, to hear you think that this is the best OU podcast, uh, wow, that's, that's high praise. Thank you. Uh, I agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's certainly the the best um, non-recruiting Oklahoma podcast out there. It might be the only one that exists. Uh, all right, so interesting question, and if you're unfamiliar, I'm sure you are if you listen to this podcast, but yeah, the the summer enrollees are on campus. They've arrived. Grant, you and I have discussed these guys briefly here and there. Certain guys on the show. The main one, obviously, is Spencer Rattler. Everyone knows about Spencer Rattler, the quarterback coming in. Um, this is a scenario. First of all, like I gotta say I have not heard anything juicy, unfortunately, Jay. I'm sorry, uh, I do not have any tidbits to add as far as as far as uh, maybe things that have gone on since they've been on campus. The only thing that I saw was public. That everybody else could see was the video tweeted out by Oklahoma football with Spencer Rattler and. And some of the other guys, E.J., uh, I always get the guy's name. E.J. Indoma Ogar. E.J. Indoma Ogar. Him talking. Uh, Jaden Davis, I think, might have been on there as well. Uh, the only thing that stood out to me in that video was that I'm pretty sure E.J. Indoma Ogar said that one of his, that one of the most important things that he brought with him to, to school and camp or whatever you want to call it, is syrup, I think he said, as for, like for pancakes, I guess, and waffles. I mean, that would make sense. It, Seems like a cliche thing for a big offensive lineman. I got nothing as far as uh, juicy things. Um, Grant, I know that you've kind of broken down maybe a couple players that you're most looking forward to seeing potentially contribute this upcoming fall. So I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, to f- gather some more information on some other, other players that might be worth talking about here as, as you continue as we continue.
0: Like I mean I know I know EJ was was very likely joking about the syrup. Not saying he didn't bring syrup, I'm but sure he did. Probably not though. I mean, it's I mean, incredibly important. But like I mean, how much does a bottle of syrup Part. cost? Like 250 maybe at at the at the most? Is that really like something that you need to bring with you? I don't think. Now I know like I know these are college kids and they're not like flush with cash or anything like that, but don't you think going and getting like
1: a bottle of syrup at the you know at the grocery store would be pretty pretty easy for him? Let's see. He's from Allen, Texas. I mean, I just think maybe he's from Canada or something. Maybe you know he has like special syrup he had to bring from home, like Neville, like you know Neville Gallimore or something. I don't know. So he's from up there in Canada. No, but he's a he's a kid from Texas. I mean, he can go over to the grocery store and buy some Griffin brand syrup, which is I uh, I work for the Griffin company.
0: To say he's from Allen, I mean that's 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 right in the middle of giant Dallas Metroplex, isn't it? So it's not like he's not like he's you know from deep West Texas or anything. Anywho. Um, I don't think EJ and Doma Ogar is going to be someone who uh, who really contributes this year at all. Although it's actually possible. I mean, there's he has. Um, it's theoretically possible that he backs up Creed Humphrey. Uh, there's really there's no other scholarship centers on on campus. I think as of right now, um, the uh, the likely backup center is probably going to be RJ Proctor, the grad transfer from Virginia. Uh, but of course, we'll have to see until till summer workouts start for that but uh Lee I do think there are uh, there's three guys off the top of my head who I think have the best chance to play right away um and really what you, can, you for the most part you can just kind of circle everyone in the secondary and just say yeah you're, you're gonna have a chance to play when you when you're coming in as a freshman on with, with the 129th ranked pass defense in the country um, I think anybody who, anybody who makes any sort of impact in practice is going to be given an opportunity to win a job in all likelihood. Um, but having that been said, I think the two guys who, are, who I, I, I'm fairly confident we're, we're going to see a, a fair a bit of this season uh, are Woody Washington and Jeremiah Cradell. Woody Washington is the number one player in Tennessee. Um, I think a lot of people were, were wondering what position he's going to play at OU. The last I saw, I think it, it's likely to be corner he's going to play. Um, he's he's kind of exactly what Alex Grinch is looking for. He's a taller guy. He's six one. He's got some length. Um, which is which, if you kind of look at some of the guys they're offering and signing in this next upcoming recruiting class, is certainly along more of the lines they're looking for in defensive backs, which obviously I love. Uh, of course, the only problem is that you know six one, six two corners and defensive backs. They they don't grow on trees. Uh, but it's nice they they, they got a guy like woody in this class and the other being jeremiah Credell. Uh, i think he's going to be a safety i think this is a guy um, who also has an opportunity to maybe uh, be an impact at that nickel spot um, he's, he's bigger as well he's six foot um, he comes from arguably the best high school program in uh, in the country at matter day in los angeles um, so he's a guy who i don't think is going to be uh, overwhelmed by the lifestyle and the culture here i think it's probably something that's been drilled into him um, so those are the two guys I, I think we're, we're probably going to see a fair bit of on, on the defense, especially in the secondary. Woody Washington and Jeremiah Cradell. Lee, the other guy is, is one that I don't think a lot of people maybe are circling as someone who could make an immediate impact. Um, but I think he really does have a chance just because they just at this position, they, they lack a lot of depth. Um, and that's the interior of the defensive line. That's where I think Marcus Hicks could potentially be a guy who, who makes an impact this season. Um and we were talking about him a couple weeks ago and I think we were ripping on Wichita high school football. Um but if Ooh, you Oh, I have
1: some numbers and stats to back up our takes on that by the way that we can get to at some point. Oh, boy howdy, joy. <laughs> hey man, I just want to you know we say some things. I feel like we need to back it up with evidence and not that anybody came back at us and got mad at us for that, but I did some research and well, we can, I'll let you keep going, to these guys, and maybe we'll we'll circle back around to just uh, how um, inefficient Wichita in the Wichita area has been in recent years of developing any sort of uh, elite type talent.
0: Okay, so yeah, no, I just i I, I think uh, Marcus Hicks fits the size profile that I think OU is looking for on the interior of their line now. And so coming out of high school, Lee, I'm looking at his rivals page right now while it loads. Give me one second. Um, I was looking at the 24-7 side. That did not look right what they had listed him as. Actually, no, they have him listed bigger. So he's 6'6", 255, Lee, out of high school. And I think obviously you look at that and you probably instantly think defensive end, but there's kind of some chatter and some message board stuff that Marcus Hicks in the offseason has just exploded in terms of like workouts and that he has put on a lot of weight which leads me to believe that they might be thinking about him as the in, on the interior of the of the defensive line. And you look at the roster right now, Lee. They have three defensive tackles who are going to get some run this year. Off the top of my head, mm-hmm. I, That's and that's that's Gallimore, Famatau, and Marquis Overton. Uh Laurent Stokes is probably the other guy. Um but of course, you know, he he was also a defensive end who I'm I think a lot of people think they're going to kick inside. Um Marcus Six, I mean, those are, those are elite measurables, um, even just out of high school, 6'6", 255. And he was a two-sport athlete. He was also a wrestler. Um, so how you know who knows how quickly he can kind of put it together? Is he going to be able to handle the college game, the mental aspect of it? But I sort of think if they really are going to kind of do a one-gap scheme with these defensive linemen and sort of let them loose and try to attack the ball carrier and the quarterback... Maybe that is an instance where a guy who's just raw athletically can get on the field early on and maybe just rush the passer from the interior. He's certainly going to have the size, the length. Um, we'll just see if he can put it all together. And of course, um, that's asking a lot of him in a single in a single summer. But I don't know. You you kind of you look at his measurables. You read about his pedigree. Um, there's obviously a depth need at the position that I think he's he's going to end up playing. He's a guy I think we we might see a bit of this year and. You know, that's not a bad thing at all. There's, there's no such thing as it's, it's not a bad thing at all when you get uh, young depth uh, experience on the defensive line. So, um, you know, those, those are the three guys I, I think are, are, are probably, or we're gonna see, we'll see more, I'm sure, too, just because of the four, the four game redshirt rule. But if if you're gonna, if you're gonna circle three guys who maybe could have a big impact uh, on the defense, I think those are your three guys right there.
1: All right, so talking about a defensive line then that could potentially impact the game, could potentially be a role, uh, have a role this upcoming fall out of Wichita and we have done, you know, we briefly talked about Wichita a few weeks ago. Grant, can you can you tell me? Do you have any idea who the last player that I'm I'm pretty sure this is right, but uh, I mean based on the research I did, but the last guy that Oklahoma got from the Wichita area, who was a standout defensive lineman? Does anybody at all come to mind? And if not, I I don't blame you. Well, but, I
0: mean, Amani Bledsoe most recently, but I I don't know if I would consider well, you know, him a, standout.
1: Amani Amani is from Lawrence. Oh, you're right.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I can mean, you give me
1: been, can, you, can you give me an era? Because I like I the the late. Uh, let's see, early twenty. 2010s uh, no let's see 2010 yeah early, i think i did this by high school graduate so it'll it would have been early 20 frank alexander no jeremy beal uh later than that so I like think jeremy starting, Beale is from colorado so no um, and that's that and that's late 2000s not early 2010s so all right so i'll just i'll just tell you oh uh, jo- jordan phillips jordan phillips jordan phillips and he was uh from a city just outside wichita i found out and i'm gonna try to i'm clicking on him right now and that was he was a 2011 graduate let's see tawanda so tawanda kansas just outside of wichita so uh and he was a second round draft pick for uh in 2015 he was very good at oklahoma he um Pretty much only
0: played in two seasons, was oft injured during that time. But when he was healthy, he was, he was very good. Too bad he couldn't stay healthy or, or really stay for, you know, for longer. I mean, he, he was a redshirt guy, so it made sense. I mean, he, he made the right choice. He got drafted in the second round. But that's one of the more, uh, that's one of the more disappointing ones. Along Him and, do uh, you remember, I, you probably don't remember him as much, but Charles Walker from a handful of years ago, that one was pretty disappointing as well.
1: Yeah, I got to Oklahoma City at the tail end of the Charles Walker era and it was after he had just been sitting out, you know, he didn't play at all in that 2016 season and then uh just he kind of just disappeared. And then he went uh to the I think he was a undrafted free agent and that whole thing. So yeah, I I was at the tail end of the uh of of his of his career. So after Jordan Phillips, the which was a 2011 high school graduate the only other player that in the uh, you know since then that's been relevant from the Wichita area that I could tell is Ben Powers really in, in all of football and he happened to go to Oklahoma but prior to Jordan Phillips so here's here's the number so I mean that's a that's a huge range right there I mean I went back to the recruiting classes of until 2002 and just kind of looked at every single player out of, out of Kansas and then more specifically out of the Wichita or Wichita area. And, you know, there's Ben Powers, and he he was very lightly recruited. He had to go to junior college. He went to Butler County Community College, and then Oklahoma picked him up, and he had a lot to prove, and he was great. Now he's an NFL player. He had Jordan Phillips, who graduated high school in 2011. I mean, that's a huge – I mean, from 2019 to 2011, that's two players right there, Grant. That's it. That's two elite-type players that turned out to be somebody that kind of you've heard of or that you can identify with – Before Jordan Phillips in 2010, of course, there's Blake Bell and Joseph Randall, who was a player for Oklahoma State, and he ended up being a fifth-round draft pick in 2013. And I was basing this off of guys getting drafted in the NFL. So I think that's pretty fair, right? I mean, you use, like, states like Texas and um, obviously Florida, California. I mean, they got all these guys drafted, things like that. Um, I mean, that's, I
0: don't know if that's... I can understand for, you know, for this exercise why why you would use the NFL. But
1: I mean, Tony Jefferson didn't get drafted. Okay, guys that played in the NFL. I can't okay. remember if I it was it, it was guys that ended up getting drafted playing the NFL from. Yeah, so and then there in oh nine you have two thousand nine Bryce Brown. You know, of course the Brown brothers. You had Bryce Brown who ended up being a seventh round draft pick and. And he went to Tennessee and then Kansas State And then his, his older brother Arthur Brown Was a really good linebacker At Kansas State for all those years And a guy named Chris Harper Was a fourth round draft pick in 2013 He was 2008 from Wichita He played at Oregon And then transferred to Kansas State And then you got to go all the way up to 2002 Cam Wimbley Who went to FSU And was a first round draft pick in 2006 He's from Wichita So those are all the names I could find in a span of about twenty years, and none of from this, that area. none of this means that Marcus Hicks is not going to work out. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. I'm just saying I just wanted to provide a little bit of evidence to back up what we were what we were saying, oh and also too i will be remiss i was uh, I can't remember if it was a Facebook or a tweet, I think it was a tweet after that episode, and I mean, th- we're not talking about i mean I guess. I guess it was a it was an earlier era, but one of our listeners wanted to point out that, hey, by the way, uh, Barry Sanders, he's from Wichita, which, of course, he definitely is one of the best running backs of all time. Who's that? So, what? Who's that, Barry's, oh, oh, Barry? Oh, Barry Sanders. Barry, you he? Yeah, who's that guy? Yeah, so of course, yeah, I mean, perhaps the greatest running back that's ever played the game of football is yeah, from Wichita, it, the, the so, best running back ever. Yes. Yeah, I mean, depends on. Yeah, I, I. He's uh he's either number one I I guess who'd be number two I I don't know I mean I I mean Walter Payton's awesome Gail Sayers you know Emmitt Smith you know I mean that depends on what you want out of your running back Uh, but Barry Sanders is awesome obviously so that was my side that was my sidebar into Wichita discussions because honestly I didn't have a whole lot of anything to add to your uh, incredibly detailed thoughts on the incoming players
0: well you know Uh, I I did have a little more about. there, there are uh, a few other guys that I wanted to highlight who I, who I don't think are going to contribute this year. But going forward, I think they, they have really have a chance to be prominent players in this class. Um, two edge defenders, David Igwebu and Joseph Wete. Uh, they are both long, uh, rangy guys who are just going to need to put on some weight, probably a little bit. Um, and then uh, Stacy Wilkins, the offensive tackle from Arkansas. Uh, rave reviews about him. Just uh, how talented he is, and I'm sure everyone in that program is really excited for uh, Bill Beatenbo to get his hands on, on him, just to see if he can mold him into the player a lot of people think he can be. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's going right. to be it's going to be interesting. There's I, I think there's always some surprise guys who kind of, who who come out of nowhere and contribute as well. So um, interested to see who who that might be in this in this uh, class of uh, kids that are coming in.
1: Okay, let's move on to our early look at Oklahoma's 2019 opponents. And last week, of course, we did quite a bit of time on Houston and I thought we had a lot of good stuff on the Cougars. Grant and I definitely know a lot more about that team uh, than we did a couple weeks ago. And and uh, Derek King, their quarterback, I'm I'm pretty intrigued to watch him play quarterback. So that, that should be fun. Uh, today, two different teams, the Week 2 opponent, South Dakota, and the Sooners' Week 3 opponent, UCLA. And you're probably thinking, hey – These should be two easy wins for the Sooners. How on earth can you make this discussion exciting? Well, what if I told you that yours truly played high school football with a guy who went on to play at South Dakota and then made a couple of NFL teams, a couple of practice squads, then played in the Arena League a little bit. Would that pique your interest at all? No? Okay. Uh, Grant, you know what I'm talking about. Coleman. Coleman Quay. Guy that none of you listening have ever heard of before, but uh Grant and I know him. He's a great guy. Best part about Coleman, and he's got a lot of positive attributes, but I think the 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 most telling thing about him is that he was a year older than me. So my sophomore season, he was a junior, and I was splitting time with a guy at corner, but then eventually I ended up starting at safety all year. And Comignan as a junior wasn't starting. He wasn't smelling the field as a junior. He was on JV. He was a defensive lineman. And then he just transformed himself in the offseason from his junior to senior year, hit the weight room, cardio, just got massive, had an incredible senior season. And he helped, helped us reach the state semifinals. When I was a junior, he was a senior. And he ended up, going to South Dakota I mean he was late to recruiting because I mean he again as a junior he was he was a backup I mean he he barely played at all and he just he transformed his body he he really got after it and he was awesome Uh, his senior year one of the best defensive linemen in the state of Minnesota but he hasn't played for South Dakota in like 10 years so he's pretty much irrelevant to the current team (laughs) so uh Grant what have you got to say about South Dakota or hey I mean what do you have to say about Yan because I'm sure you have lots of positive things to say about Co.
0: Well I of course I have lots of thoughts on Yan. you and I have talked about Yan numerous times over the last <laughs> decade but never on this podcast never now. on this podcast and I'm sure nobody cares but Lee I don't know I actually did some research on on the 2019 version of South Dakota so you know <laughs> I guess actually I did way too much of it I I got like I got onto like my second hour of researching South Dakota today and then I just sort of stopped oh and I was gosh. like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, so I, I'm I'm fairly certain that I have, I've, I know more about South Dakota right now than a vast majority of, of anybody, maybe Probably. even people, maybe even people on their own team. <laughs> so I don't know it, this, uh, it's, this is a game. I mean, it's a money game for South Dakota. O- OU is going to be able to name their score in this game. Um, they were 4-7 they were and seven last year at the FCS level. Um, they, yeah. the, the, the two best teams that they played um, in FCS last year were North Dakota State. They lost by 45, and South Dakota State, they lost by 22. Um, they, do, they do return 15 starters. By the way, I
1: know guys who played on South Dakota State and North Dakota State continue. S- same, same here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so uh, happens every you live in Minnesota.
0: Yep, so they they do return 15 starters, so they do have some experience. Um they have their starting quarterback is a senior who is uh you know, who who may present some problems. He was uh he was fourth nationally in the FCS in passing yards last year. Uh only a 126.4 rating, 18 touchdowns, eight picks. His name is Austin Simmons. Um, if you take out sack yardagely, he led the team in rushing last year yeah so he I is, that too he is a dual threat um and so on on designed runs he averaged six and a half yards a carry so he's a guy who maybe will be able to to burn the defense if things break down every now and then um but really he's not a guy who is going to be overly accurate he only completed a little over 60 percent of his throws only six and a half yards an attempt attempt he did average about
1: 11 yards per completion um, oh that's like uh I mean the, the yards per attempt i mean that's that's daniel jones that's daniel jones territory yeah he must be pretty good then yeah they they return their
0: two leading receivers in terms of catches dakari allen and levi fulk um you know guys that that they see a lot better guys on a regular basis playing in the big 12 um lee they they don't have a running game to speak of last year they averaged 3.3 yards per carry um, yeah, and their
1: best running back averaged three point nine yards yeah. per carry. Kai so, Henry.
0: Yeah, and to, they do return three stars in the offensive line, but like I said, only three point three yards a carry. They allowed thirty four sacks last last year. Um, I, I watched I watched some of their highlights. They're they spread team. Um, they are. I, I would say oh, wow, you actually watched some. Uh, I mean, like they, they had you. they had little like Twitter uh, little highlights posted in the in the player profile pages on their website. That's all I watched. Okay. Their spread team, I, I would I would liken them probably the most to a Washington State like spread team, where they're going to try to get the ball out quickly and they're not really going to throw it downfield a whole lot. Um, their 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 short passing game pretty much is their running game. They're one of those teams, um, and they're they're going to really struggle to hold up in the trenches. Uh, one of those one of those teams. It's not going to be pretty. So they were lead uh, just. In terms of their overall offense, they were 42nd in FCS last year in yards per game with 411. They averaged just over five yards per play, which is not particularly good. No, no, and that's that's an FCS. So, um, you know, th- this is obviously not a game in which we need to be overly concerned about. Um, it's a it's much much grimmer outlook. Also, when you go and look at their defense as well, they were 87th in FCS in yards allowed per game, 430. Gave up about six yards per play. Um, they averaged uh, gave up over 210 yards rushing per game, averaging over five yards per carry. Um, they're bad. They, they, I mean, they're bad. <laughs> so there's not. Okay. We don't we don't really need to go too much into it. I'm sure that you know, the week that we're actually previewing them before the game. We're not going to have much to say then either, but at least at least we'll have one game that we can say that we watched them. But this this is a game that that OU can
1: can probably win by fifty to sixty if they want. Now, if you're ever going to accuse this podcast of maybe not caring enough or or not doing enough homework, just think back to the time where Grant did more than an hour of research into South Dakota in June. more than two hours of research, more than two. I mean, that is some high level stuff. I mean, you don't get this kind of information on any other podcast. This is incredible. That's why yeah. So not not a single like preview
0: has been written about them at all. No, yet. nothing. Which means nothing. like so when you I just say, did it. Like I like when I say that I know at this point in time, like I know more about this team than anyone, sans the people on the team. Like I actually think I mean it. I think this is true.
1: I don't know what the local news is in South Dakota. I couldn't even tell you what city that is. I should know. Do you know? Do you know what city South Dakota is? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. No but anyways, No way. No they, way. Should no. Be they should be downloading West of Everest to do some research on South Dakota football because they probably know less about it than you do. All right. Well, that was fun. Actually, I actually think U- UCLA, I, got, I actually
0: have a lot to say about UCLA. I think this could be a little more, uh, little more of a substantive conversation
1: than you think. Well, I have a lot to say on on our main discussion point, which maybe it's not going to be the main discussion point if you have a lot more things to talk about. But uh, let's get into it right now, because UCLA, you think about them, think, hey, that could be that could be a pretty interesting team to talk about because of Chip Kelly. We did, did it last year, you know, Chip Kelly's first year. Here's an interesting question, though, I think, when we talk about Chip Kelly. And to me, this is the most interesting part of this discussion. We'll see if you have anything else you want to talk about later. That's that's more intriguing. But. What do you think, is Chip Kelly a top 15 college football coach still? And I think this is a good question because, obviously, 10 years or so ago, roughly, easily, easily a top five coach, maybe even a top three coach in college football. And I listened to a podcast by a guy named John Middlecoff, and I know I've talked about him before on this show. He's a Colin Cowherd guy, uh, the Colin Cowherd Podcast Network. Middlecoff has podcasts a couple times, three times a week, talking about mostly the NFL, but also college football, and he's a former NFL scout, does media stuff. He has a radio show, I believe, up in Northern California, and his specialty is the Raiders and the 49ers, but he gives his thoughts on the NFL as a whole, and since he has those West Coast connections, he's a guy that has a lot of insight into Chip Kelly because obviously Kelly coached at Oregon and then coached with the 49ers for, what, a year or two, whatever it was, and so I was listening to one of the episodes last week where Middlecoff was talking about Chip Kelly and he said he doesn't think Chip Kelly's really good anymore. He says that Kelly has lost his fastball and he mentioned that he was DMing with Bruce Feldman on Twitter and Bruce Feldman said that he thinks Chip Kelly is still a top 15 college football coach, college football head coach to be more specific. And Middlecoff said that he can't put Kelly even in his top 20 because he just hasn't been able to prove that he has more than one pitch. So Grant, are you more on Bruce Feldman's side of Kelly being a top 15 head coach still or are you more on the side of Middlecoff where you're just kind of not sure if Chip Kelly is that good anymore? And this is wait and see, right? Because I mean, if we're if we're judging
0: this based on like his credentials at the college level, he's a top five coach in the country. Um, do I think he is right now? Right no. now. Right. Mean I'm right, talking right like, now. Right this second. Right now. Yes, because that's all that matters. Let's be honest. I'd that's say, all that matters. I'd say no, just because we I we don't know enough information. He 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 walked into a very bad situation at UCLA. Mora um, did not leave that program in, in in very good shape, especially in the trenches. So I, it's 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 hard to say now. I we're we're gonna be able to we're, we're gonna we're gonna find out a lot about Chip Kelly. This upcoming season, because people do. I mean, Oregon's program was in really good condition when Chip Kelly took took that over. Um, So this is this is really the first time he's had to kind of build a program, Um, not from scratch, because you can't say UCLA from scratch. But uh, the roster management there under under Jim Moore was was poor, to say the least. So uh, but Lee, I, I think UCLA actually has an opportunity for this to be kind of a sneaky, scary game and and that's just hold because on hold
1: on hold on before you get to the ucla though i wanted to go i mean i wanted to, to actually do i wanted to rank some coaches oh geez well, i want to I do that i don't know if i'm prepared for that all well right, we'll see this could be even better then because then i'll throw out because what i did is i found my top five and then i have tiers in like no particular order my next set of guys and then i have another tier and then another tier and I think it could potentially be pretty compelling because honestly, I don't have a whole lot to say about UCLA. Uh, I don't think they're gonna be very good again. And I tend to th- to kind of side with with uh, Middle Cobb. I, I I think Chip Kelly kind of has his one thing, and it everyone's doing it or everyone has variations of it, and it's just it's not groundbreaking anymore. And I mean, like last year, his offense wasn't very good, and the defense wasn't very good, but. We'll save that for the discussion. So here's, here's my thing. I first thought, as I went through this, ranking college football coaches, head coaches, obviously to be more specific, it's just it's really hard. It's really difficult outside of the top two. and Those are, those are slam dunks. It used to be top three, but Urban Meyer retired. So I'm basing my rankings off of a mix of who I think is the best coach right now and who I'd want to coach my team right now. So my top five goes like this, Grant. Number one right now, I think, is Dabo Sweeney. I think Dabo Sweeney is the best coach in college football right now. I think he has surpassed Nick Saban for the moment. He just beat him recently in the title game. He's doing it at Clemson, who hasn't had much of a history of that. He hasn't had as much time built up as Saban has at Bama to be that elite. Um, So I I got Dabo right now as number one. Saban, obviously, number two. I mean, you can flip-flop those. Ever you want, because obviously Saban's probably the best head coach of all time. Uh, But I'm saying again, based on right now and who I'd want to coach my team. And I mean, everyone seems to love Dabo. uh, Number three, Lincoln Riley. I have Lincoln Riley at number three right now because of how good he is at the offensive side of the football. He's a genius. He's the best offensive mind in college football. And I, I I going to give him the benefit of the doubt right now. He needs a little bit of help on defense. I think to get to that next level, and i think just he, the reason the reason he's ahead of some of the other guys is because of he's the cuz he's the best guy offensively you know that he's going to put out an offense that is just elite just give him a little bit of help on defense and you got a team that's going to win a lot of games number 4 chris peterson mainly because of obviously his history at boise state he's gotten a lot, he's getting a lot out of washington who has strict academic standards i believe for a you know, Pac-12 school that's not Stanford. And also, there's just not a whole lot of talent in that part of the country, I believe, and you got to recruit California. and Washington's not getting a bunch of five-star guys, and they're still able to win that conference a decent amount. Sure, they get to the big stage, and, and they're kind of outclassed by some of those other teams, but I think Peterson's getting a lot out of it. And I, the reason I have this guy number five is the same kind of idea, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, Definitely strict academic standards there. Tough to get certain players. And he got this team to the playoff last year. And I know their schedule isn't always great, but they play a lot of brand-name teams. And he gets a lot out of those guys. So my top five right now, I'm going to go Dabo, Saban, Riley, Peterson, Brian Kelly, one through five. So before I get to my other other coaches, Grant, I know you're not prepared for this, but uh, do you have any qualms with my top five?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I you're crazy for putting Dabo ahead of Saban. Um, no, just no. I, wow. I'm not. I guess I'm not because I'm not overreacting to one game and one. But season. I mean, I
1: thought Dabo kind of. I think he's kind of been trending that way for the last handful of years. I no, mean, I disagree. I disagree. Um, maybe not. Maybe not a handful, but the last two or three. So I, I would probably.
0: Um, I honestly I wouldn't have Riley that high. I'd probably have Chris Peterson ahead of Riley. Um, and then I would, uh, I'd swap out Brian
1: Kelly for Kirby Smart. Yeah, I just Kirby Smart's in my next tier, and I don't even know. And, and, and it's no particular order because I just at that that point I didn't know I had a the next tier is the next tier is tough. I mean, obviously, I think you would probably have Jimbo Fisher in there,
0: David Shaw. Um, yep. I'm lo- It's like I'm looking through a lot of these, and it's it's kind of tough to find some. It's like you I. I definitely wouldn't put Gus Malzahn in there. I mean, he's had some really good seasons, but he's also had some really bad seasons. Um, I, 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 in in tier two, I'd have to put Mike Leach in there.
1: Would you like me to go through my tier two or sure. my second tier of of no particular sure. order? Gary guys? Patterson would absolutely be in tier two. Yep. All right, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have eleven guys in this kind of second. No particular. Actually, I'm going to say I have ten guys because I have realized that one of these guys should probably be in, in a in a different uh, tier. Let me switch over. that. Okay, so I have ten play. Uh, I keep saying I want to say players, their coaches, and you've mentioned some of them: uh, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, Gary Patterson, David Shaw, Matt Campbell from Iowa State's in that in that no particular order tier for me. I I think he's a fantastic head coach. Uh, Dan Mullen throw Jim Harbaugh in here, Tom Herman, Mike Gundy, and Mike Leach. That's my no particular order kind of second tier. I'm not really sure how I would rank these guys, but I I like these guys uh, more than about uh, 10, 10 or so more other coaches I have in this list, but not as much as my top five. So any uh, red flags or any... Any antenna go up to, for you on any of those names I mentioned there?
0: Um, yeah, I, I I understand your logic with Matt Campbell, but he's nineteen and nineteen as a head coach, and I, I he's I at think, Iowa State. and yeah, he's making it I, Relevant. I, I, th- I think he's he's getting there. Um, I you know I would probably think about putting Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern in there. Um, he 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 took Northwestern to the Big Ten championship game last year with a bad
1: football team. He's a good coach. Um yeah so I have Fitzgerald at my next tier, which is not really a fair tier based on the way what I named it but uh anyways, so I just want to mention he isn't he is not one of my lists though so continue if you have anything else
0: um I think that's all i have i'm I'm trying to think of other ones that I had um no i it's like i i i wanna say i wanna say get Tom Herman out of
1: there, but I don't think that's fair um yeah he's uh, yeah i that's I'd say that's fair, but I think for now I'm going to leave him kind of up there because I he's no, kind of I a think jer- he, he's definitely kind there. of a jerk. He should be But there. uh he he gets he gets decent stuff out of his team for most. He they got to figure out their offense more. They got to be able to score more points. Yeah. And then, he's an offensive guy.
0: And then of course we we got to I mean we we have no idea what's going to happen with uh with Ryan Day right. at, at Ryan Ohio Day State, go? so yeah, we don't know yeah, yet. He's not know. he's incomplete. He's not in any tier
1: so, yet. So uh here's my next tier and I guess one of these guys doesn't really count for this tier, but I put him in here anyways, based on what I named it, but I name this the the guys who coach in cold weather spots who always have good seasons, but you know they're not really gonna compete for a national title. And Pat Fitzgerald's in there. Paul Christ, just Wisconsin, oh, yeah. just get out of here with Wisconsin. Paul like, Christ, I
0: maybe Paul Christ I maybe thought about putting in tier two. Just I mean I know. I know. Wisconsin does have kind of the appearance of they. They've just sort of perfected their program to run in that style. Yep. So maybe
1: maybe anybody could step in there and have success. But yep. Uh, so th- those two guys, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, just been around forever. That makes Iowa always competitive. And then you could throw Mark D'Antonio for Michigan State in there oh, too. So I, I would
0: put D'Antonio in, in, in high in tier two. That that's one that I I would put
1: him very high in tier two. Yeah. Uh, and then the the guy added kind of late that doesn't really fit the whole cold weather thing, but uh, Kyle Whittingham at Utah. Well, that guy's good... getting a lot of, he's getting a lot of, out of the, the players there. And uh, is that Salt your a-
0: tier 3 Is that your tier three? Is that your
1: tier three? Yeah. This okay. This is like my, yeah.
0: Because uh, yeah, I, like, I think Kyle Whittingham's a really good coach.
1: Well, that's why I, I, I had him in that top one, but I was like, nah, I mean, he, we don't know what he would do. Let's say if he was given a, a job at, I mean, I guess the, you know, yeah, I guess Utah is a Pac 12 team. I I was thinking that sometimes I forget Utah's not in the you know one of those mid majors conferences. So I mean, yeah, he's getting a lot out of that. So yeah, he he probably that I mean initially I had him in that second tier, and then I kind of decided to move him out. So he's a tweener. Um and then so this is my last one, and I just have like a question where I say, what about? What about these guys? Because they're considered to be top coaches, depending on I don't know, top 15, top 20, top twenty-five. And so the guys I have in the kind of what about these guys column is Gus Malzahn, David Cutcliffe from Duke, Scott Frost at Nebraska, who could very well be a very good coach, but he's only been there for one year and they were eh. Chip Kelly. And then a guy that you and I have the same feelings about, but you'll see this guy in maybe the top 10, if not the top 15 of every coaching rankings things and I just don't buy for a second. James Franklin. Yeah, James Franklin
0: is. (laughs) <laughs> it's not not a particularly good coach um trying to so, think, man, i think we've
1: kind of gone and you know i'm sure i'm missing where's my boy pj fleck pj fleck sure i mean throw him in there i mean i is he do you think he's good do you think he's getting that stuff out of the minnesota
0: yeah he was i i thought i thought he did a really good job with the team last year but I don't, i mean yeah he's he's not someone i'm really i'm ready yet to make like a definitive statement on but Um, I don't know interesting conversation I I really did feel like there was some good UCLA material here that you were just looking over it's gonna look I'm gonna point back to this moment when they get when the Sooners get upset by UCLA in the
1: Rose Bowl I'm gonna point back to this moment and I'm just gonna completely blame you well no we have time to do the UCLA talk I just wanted to to get to that before you went into the whole UCLA discussion, because I just can't imagine what you have that's going to be particularly intriguing, but the floor is yours. Well, how about this,
0: Lee? They, uh, UCLA returns 19 starters from last year, 9 on offense and 10 on defense. And, of course, now you're going to say, oh, well, their team wasn't particularly good anyway. They were young. They were really young. Um, they return all five of their starters on the offensive line, which is a really big deal. Continuity and experience at the offensive line position in college is maybe the most important uh, variable to you know when you're discussing if teams are going to be any good at all. They have a they have a guy Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback who was beat up last year because he took quite of a beating because he ran a lot, but he's an elite athlete back there and he probably played his best game of the season against OU. If you remember, he dropped some dimes against OU, um, so he he does have you know he's got a capability and Lee the entire focal point of their offense last year was a running back by the name of Joshua Kelly who was not even a relevant factor on the team when they came to Norman. He had five carries for seven yards against OU. Uh, that was I was was that was the second game last year, which means in the last 10 games of the year, Lee, he ran for over 1,200 yards. So mm-hmm. they have, yeah, so they have... Yeah, they, I mean, they
1: got a lot better. They improved as the season went on and then ended up beating USC late in the year. So, mm-hmm. I mean... They're moving in the right direction. And
0: so I, 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 they have experience returning in the trenches. They don't lose, they didn't lose any starters in the trenches at all. Um, they, nine guys back on offense, 10 on defense. There were some guys on the defensive line last year I thought really flashed in that game against OU. If you recall, OU really struggled to run the ball. Um, a guy that I, I remember who stood out to me, the defensive lineman by the name of Osa Odigazua, was a guy who flashed for me last year. He's back. Um, uh, Kashan Lucier South is back. He's he left kind of halfway through spring ball because of some academic issues, but Chip Kelly did say he expects him to be back for the summer. Um, you know, their defense was bad last year, but experience is a big deal in college. And these are guys. Some of these guys were really highly recruited. Um, so just maybe one more year. Um, you know, one more year could could be really good for them. I don't know. I, this is this is a team that was recruiting at a fairly high level a team that has speed, has some explosive players on offense. And the Sooners are going to go on the road. It's not going to be a, a you know, it's not going to be a very daunting road atmosphere. Um but are you telling me that and I know we haven't seen Alex Grinch's defense yet, but I mean if if the Sooners roll out a defense that's similar to what they had at the end of last year, I'm not confident going up against anybody that has you know, that has speed and, and the capability to be explosive, just very much like UCLA does. This, this it it could be a, it could be a sneaky tough game. Like it would not surprise me if, if we look back at the end of the season and we say, yeah, that UCLA game was actually that was their toughest non conference opponent. It wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not in any position to to chalk up any sort of easy wins based on what the defense has been recently so sure and uh, not to mention this is a road game too so that's and, gonna and also I mean this is this
0: this is an OU team that is you know that's replacing four starters on the offensive line going up against a de- defensive line that gave OU trouble last year and now this is going to be a you know a, an experienced offensive line a very very talented one but you know I there's there's some instances here where I can certainly point to that and say, okay, that's potentially concerning in June. Um, of course, UCLA could have two games before OU and look terrible, and then we're not worried at all anymore. Uh, but well, Yeah, it's
1: a good thing that uh, Sooners have that South Dakota game before it. To, yeah, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm saying right now, us,
0: just from what I've looked at, UCLA is absolutely a, a realistic team to point towards and say, hey, this is a team that can really turn it around from, from last year. It would not surprise me whatsoever. Um, they they ended pretty well last year. They ended scoring a lot of points last year. Their offense really started to pick up. Um, so if, you know, if Chip Kelly can get his offense rolling, I'm not going to say sky's the limit for UCLA, but they can certainly be a team that wins seven or eight games.
1: Well, just a bit of information that backs your thoughts a little bit is the fact that the Golden Nugget, they did release a line For this game as well, even though it's in week three. And again, Houston is a 27-point underdog, according to the Golden Nugget to Oklahoma. UCLA is only an 11-point underdog to Oklahoma. So, yeah, throwing three points for home field. And based on that, they're saying that UCLA is 13 points better than Houston at this point. So, take that for what's worth. I mean, last year, I believe Oklahoma was favored by... 21? I think against UCLA? No, remember it wasn't.
0: They ended up it was a it was a bad beat. Remember they were they were favored by 28 and a half. And they ended up winning by 28.
1: Oh, they ended up winning by 21 though. Right? No, it was
0: the final was 49 to 21. Don't you remember that bad beat UCLA scored with like 17 seconds left?
1: Uh. No, I remember it was a bad beat. I just couldn't remember how much they ended up winning by. Yeah, okay, was, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I watched a little bit of the highlights today. They won 49-21. It was the as soon as we're favored by 28 and a half.
1: <laughs> All right, so that's a huge adjustment. That's a huge change from from uh, this year expected to uh, from last year. So, I mean, we'll see if it changes. I'm sure it will. Lines will move a lot. But, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to UCLA. My big, uh, my big contribution was the Chip Kelly and the coaching ranking because I thought that would be fun. All right, anything else in your mind this week before we wrap it up? You know, I don't think so. I I'm glad I got my glad I got
0: my, my UCLA forewarning in there. I'm probably not gonna be as uh, obnoxious about that as I
1: was about FAU last summer, but um Well for that one too you'll have a couple games under under their belt yeah, that's to kind of judge it more off. Yeah, off but
0: too, I, so. I look at UCLA and I, I it's very easy for me to point to them and say that this is a team that could really surprise people.
1: You know what? You know, I you're right. I was uh A lot of my attitude towards this was from me not doing enough research on UCLA and more just trying to get by. But at the end of last season, UCLA was kind of a popular team to back betting wise because they started playing a lot better. And I know I had them. I took them in that game against UCLA or uh, sorry, against USC, and they ended up winning outright. I think they were home underdogs in that game. So Chip Kelly had them playing their best football at the end of the season even though they didn't have anything really to play for. And you know what? It's probably because of what you were saying earlier that they were so young. A lot of those guys were looking towards the next season wanting to build off of a, a good end of the 2018 year moving into the 2019 campaign.
0: Yeah, and they, you know what they do? They, they have a pretty – as far as Pac-12 schedules go, they have a, they have a pretty challenging schedule. Uh, I'll, I'll give them some credit. They, they have a very good non-conference schedule. They, they open on the road at Cincinnati – Um, which is a bowl team from last year, a team that returns a lot of experience, and they're going on the road. Um, They play San Diego State, which has been a perennial bowl team for the last decade or so, and then OU. I mean, that's a very good non-conference schedule, and then uh, they open in the Pac-12 on the road at Washington State. The next week, they're on the road again at Arizona. They have to go to Stanford. They have to go to Utah, uh, to USC. Not not a particularly
1: uh, easy schedule for UCLA this year. Want to know what the OU Texas line is? Well, wasn't Care it to like, venture a guess? Is it like six and a half? Six and a half. Yep. Yeah, that's not as interesting to me as, uh, as the Houston one. All right, that's all we have for today. I suppose next week, Grant, uh, Texas Tech will be the focus. So no more Cliff Kingsbury. So potentially, I guess, maybe some Texas Tech talk could be Kind of interesting because now we're going to have to do some research on new head coach Matt Wells, who came, he came from Utah State, right? Yeah, right. U- Utah State, he's been a pretty solid mid-major.
0: Well, actually, Lee, did you ever, uh, have you seen, I don't know if you've it's kind of started breaking the last couple of days on social media, have you seen all of the transfers from West Virginia that have got, been, gone in the no. transfer portal? So uh, they're, they're uh, all Big 12 safety from last year, uh, his, whose name somehow is escaping me. He is in the transfer portal. Cool. Um, and so I don't I don't know if it'd be like tampering or if it's you know looked down upon but I Lincoln Riley needs to get on the phone right now and try to get him to Norman yeah I'm looking up who it is I don't know why I can't think of his name right now I've literally I've I've, I've, I've like I, I stared at it like all day yesterday and now it's escaping me of course Kenny Robinson yeah Kenny Robinson thank you hmm. he picked off Kyler uh, in the end zone in Morgantown, um, and real—I mean—he's an All Big Twelve safety, and he's a safety who breathes. So therefore, he would be valuable <laughs> to OU.
1: <laughs> yeah, I man, it's—it really is free agency at this point, isn't it? I mean, I, he's not going to be uh, immediately eligible, though. He wouldn't be, I don't think. I mean, what? I don't know. He got the of, got the the coach change. Oh my gosh, it's a good point. Yeah, because again, that's got to be the only reason why. The um, now the quarterback's name is escaping me. From Ohio State to Miami is uh, Tate Martell. Um, yeah, I mean, because didn't we kind of decide that that's the only reason why he would be immediately eligible? Like, what other sort of hardship did he have?
0: Unless I, unless I'm not getting the full story, that
1: was that was pretty much it. Because he wasn't injured. I mean he he played a bit last year. Maybe he. So, anyways, um, wow. Yeah, I mean that standards interesting. If you know if a coach leaves or something like that, then you're gonna get the waiver kind of what it seems like so yeah we'll keep uh we'll stay tuned to that one i guess but um all right well
0: that's all i got uh that's all i have to i got nothing more i just kind of i thought that was interesting
1: all right we'll try to be back on time next week um apparently i'm going to be going to lubbock this weekend for super regional baseball oklahoma state and texas tech so that could be a thing. Uh, I don't know how that's going to affect the show, if at, if at all, next week, so we'll see. But uh, if anything changes, always follow the West of Everest Facebook page for any updates. And, again, if you have any sort of questions for us, you can send us a message on Facebook or you can email us, westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, Grant, at GrantBenson25 on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9 Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.